Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at RyanRoxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. I am your host, Ryan Roxy, and, well, thanks for coming. File into that uh, chat right now if you're on our YouTube official channel. Thank you very much. Uh, hit that subscribe button for us, Vic. Can you hit that button? Thank you. I think I'm getting it right, the point now. And if you are listening to us on one of the audio broadcasts, which is uh, Apple, uh, Spotify, or Google, any of those, thank you very much. But we'd love to have you on our Ryan Roxy official YouTube channel and uh, watch the entire show. So today on In the Trenches, we have a guest that is truly deserving of the name. In fact, the entire podcast was built for guests like this. He's been grinding it out in the clubs and the comedy stages all over the world for years. He's been building a career and a fan base borderlining on a religious cult-like status. Although you might not want to get him started on religion, all right? But like so many of our guitar heroes we have on the show, I've listened to countless hours of his albums and his work. So I'm going to do my best not to let the awkwardness slash fanboy get the best of me. Instead, I'll just invite him into the trenches so you all can sit in on the conversation as we welcome Doug Stanhope. Hello, Doug. You you just read that, and I'm like, was this like on my website? Is that my bio? And then I realized you, I mean, I did a little bit of uh, prep work yesterday for this. But did I, you? just wrote like, like I, if I was getting like an all-time, uh, like a, a, a lifetime achievement award, you just read that, and you wrote that yourself, and I'm very impressed. I wrote it between cocktails of doing research all day. So, and we did this right before we started hitting record, but cheers, my friend. Thank you for being on In the Trenches. Yeah, there's a little booze shakes in that mimosa. <laughs> mm. it's, it's five o'clock somewhere. And um, obviously you're way, way on the uh, West Coast of the world. I'm at the North Pole. And um, we're going to talk about Bisbee, Arizona in just a little bit. But- Home, Malmo, where are you at? I am in Stockholm, Sweden, right in the thick of it. And I know that uh, you've played here before. In fact, you've played all over the friggin' world, man. Grinding yeah. it out. I, I I actually love Scandinavia. I'm a fucking huge freak for Norway. I hate the UK. The rest of Europe, I suck my dick. But uh, <laughs> what was it? What, my, one of my favorite albums is, is, is Oslo. Um, oh, was, I fucking hate that's the only that's the only one I really regret. That live album? Yeah. Oh, shit. shit, man. No, had, no, 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 no. I had I, I, I had just recorded uh, the previous from across the street, and uh, my manager found some famous fucking Swedish photographer to do the cover art. And then the photographer is like, if you want to film tonight's show for a special, we'll do it for like fucking pennies on the dollar. And then again, my manager's going, well, it's, it's, it's a great deal financially. I go, but the material's not nearly ready yet. I mean, I just put out the previous album. The, that's not out. Why would we? Because it's it's a good deal. He's a cheap fuck. And that's hey. That's the manager. We're going to get into the business part of it as well. That's good. And and, and how you met him. Harrigan, right? Is it Hennigan? Hennigan, yes. Hennigan, let me, yes. Let me first say, if, if I was at all professional, I would have rescheduled this fucking podcast because what? I just got my second vaccination yesterday. And I heard the second one, you have you know, more side effects. Is it kicking and, your ass? Well, uh, just uh, it, the, my arm hurts like fuck. 
the shot, neither shot hurt whatsoever. Barely feel it. And I'm terrified of needles. So I, but the next day it feels like your friend had been hammering you in the arm. So all night I was sleeping and I roll over a lot. So every time I would roll to that arm, I'd fucking wake up in a half lucid dream going ow and thinking that the dream was somehow related to, oh, that vaccination is fucking with my head. Nah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm the same way about needles. And that's probably what's saved my life throughout the years, I feel, because yeah, I never I, went to that level. I know I did two vaccinations, yet I'm still reticent to try heroin and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> nah, it's, it's always been something that I've. I've I've been in the room, and then I've sort of luckily snuck out of the room. I, I don't think I've ever done it. I, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, you know, the late the late eighties and the early nineties. It's one of those things where I, I don't know. Maybe there was some there was some ecstasy floating around that might have had it in it. I heard urban legend that you know the good stuff did. Yeah, uh, Hedberg used to have a joke. That's how I knew he was on heroin because Hedberg's jokes usually were based in some kind of truth. You know, Mitch Hedberg, of course. Mitch Hedberg, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he... Uh, That's he our said, producer, Vic, putting it up right away, man. Look at he's that. He's fucking good. Yeah, phone. he had some joke that he referred to when you have something that you enjoy, but then someone... Uh, you find some... I'm destroying this fucking joke, but he's he, he says, like, you like smoking pot, and then someone sprinkles some heroin into your pot. Regular pot is no longer fun. <laughs> like, oh, he's fucking good at heroin because I know him. That joke wasn't in the set last time we worked together. Yeah, I was. I was always more on the upside, and then you know, and then I having a nice stiff cocktail was always kind drinking? of a new thing. This right here is an old fashioned. It's oh, a, you're, a, you're a master. But I've given it. I, you know what? I've given it a little bit of a twist. Instead of just a straight up, um, I've, I put a little bit of soda water into it as well. Yeah. And as far as the simple syrup goes, and you're going to laugh at this because it's not a Swedish thing at all. I found some Mrs. Butterworth's like American syrup, and that's <laughs> my sort of sweetener, uh, simple syrup that that I put into it. Was that like a default? Like, ah, oh, fuck, we're out of simple syrup. So hey, yeah, it was like I didn't want to make my own simple syrup because you know I was lazy on one of these podcasts earlier, and then I just said, let me just try some pancake syrup, and now it has a nice maple flavor. Oh my god, Vermont is so gonna steal that from you. Every fucking bar in Burlington is gonna be serving maple maple old fashions. Oh, hipster fashions. Yeah. They're not even going to be old fashions anymore. The new fashions. <laughs> That's funny, man. So, like, I'm thinking that we probably cross paths at one point or another. And I'm going to get through that. Um, if we can just start off with getting back to go forward, because that's the way we have this section. Vic, you want to roll that? We try to pull ourselves off as a real show, and then we fail. Sometimes we stumble. It's okay, you know. <laughs> but we have sound effects. We have a motorcycle sound. I don't know. Wait, what, what, what was that going to be? It's just a little part of uh, going back to get forward. I, I want to talk a little bit about how you ended up, uh, you know, during those years. Because the first thing off the bat that I noticed that's a little bit of a similarity between us is that we both kind of started out the same exact year. You're 
you're a little bit of a, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm a little bit of your a year and a half. We're, yeah, fucking, year and a half. we're the same age, <laughs> which exactly. We have this 54. That's why I'm thinking that we fucking passed around the same sort of clubs, the same sort of, cause we were both living in Los Angeles uh, at the, around the same years, but I'm going to digress a little bit because you first, uh, you grew up in the, the Northeast, Boston, right? And you, in yeah, that was the Boston was, area. Yeah, until I was legal to leave and be on my own. I, I, I have like no memory of, like, it didn't, like, I'm not one of those guys that, like, I'm Boston guy or Worcester is where I'm from. Again, I didn't keep it like a lot of people. But did you leave as soon as you could, right? Because I, I left at 17. I left San Francisco, Bay Area. And because uh, I grew up in the Bay Area, moved down to Los Angeles because that's where the music was. Like at seventeen, I just and, fucking and drove. Now, what year was that? Eighty five. That was in eighty three. Oh, eighty three. Right. So it was like right as soon as I, you know, kind of could, I was there. And um, it freak it freaks me out now because I think I think about you know driving <laughs> down to Los Angeles as a sixteen and seventeen year old just going up and down the five like a fucking maniac. Just. <laughs> The hubris to think that you can survive on your own being a fucking child like that. That's one thing that's changed from both of our generation to what it is today. Trust me. And you, yeah. and you know that, I mean, as far as, even though you don't have kids and you're pretty vocal about that, but uh, it's, it's one of those things that the kids today don't have any idea about what it would be like to be that independent. I don't feel, or do they? Uh, I don't. I, I would assume that all the fucking gadgetry makes people. Like, it, when we we think back to those days, like you had to go to a payphone and have change to call your. You know, now you just Google where the fuck you are. When I showed up in L.A. at you know eighteen in nineteen eighty five off an Amtrak for four and a half days, I. I like I picked up the local newspaper and I looked at the class. I didn't know where I was. I'd ask someone how to get a bus. Like there was no instant knowledge like Google or GPS. So Remember yeah, those, what were those things that everybody had in their car? It was like a, a, a something guide, a Thompson guide. Is that what it was? Oh, yeah. was LA, the Thompson guide. Yeah. And people would drive and it was and, like Encyclopedia Britannica for getting the fuck around LA. It like had pages for every neighborhood. It was this thick. It was like a phone book. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Cab drivers had them. Where are you going? And they'd have to look it up. So when I, when I checked it out, 1990 is when you've said that that's when it kind of started for you. And uh, it started out in Vegas, which was, um, were you living there or did, was LA first the place and then you just went, went over to Vegas? I thought I was going to be an actor when I was 18. I go, I'm going to, I'm moving as soon as I turn 18, I'm moving to Hollywood and I'm going to get into acting. And I didn't I hardly ever act. I was in a couple of school plays, but it seemed like something I, I could do. I think you have that child, that child actor face already. But, you know, if you, if you look back in those days, I've seen the shots. It, you even had a, you even sported a mullet on. on fuck, yeah. Fuck yeah. It, it, I, 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 there's one video floating around from like after I was just I'd only been doing comedy a year, and somehow I got on evening at the Improv, mostly because they put out like 50 episodes a week, so they were using anyone that they could get, and I had this. The mullet almost looked like it was permed in the front. It was, I must have blown it dry or something. I have no idea. <laughs> a lot of product. 
back in those days, you know, to get that poof, exact Buffon. Yeah. But what was good is but that I, I lasted about six months in, in, in 85 is when I got to LA and I, I, that dream's over and I bailed. And then I just kept moving around and moved to Florida for a few months. I moved to Vegas. I moved to Idaho. I moved back to Vegas and started comedy at 23 in 1990. Okay. So right, right in 1990, because you, I was going to think, because I was doing the research on it and I was, where were you? I was, I was in New York. Yeah. We're kind of going back and forth because at that point, I was in L.A. from those early 80s up until about 87. Then I moved to New York, lived there for a few years, and then I moved back in like 91, 92. So I was back in L.A. for my second stint uh, when you were. But I was going to talk a little bit about the days before and wondering if you remembered those days. Um, and I don't know if you just went there um, learning the chops, learning your, learning the gig, but at the comedy store, they used to have Monday nights for free, right? It was a, it was a free Monday night. And I remember back in the, a couple of years, there was a, you could go see the Monday night for free. As long as somebody bought two drinks, uh, dice. Yeah. Like $9 Cokes. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and then you'd have to find money for the other Coke. But the thing was not, it was dice. Kennison and um, uh, do you guys do you remember comedian Carl LeBeau? That was like Kennison's yeah, buddy. Yeah, and, he's and, still yeah. So those I mean, guys. Million years, but yeah. Shit, you got Carl LeBeau, Vic. Fucking good work yeah. on that. All right. So, so did you ever go to those or, or see? Because there, there was also this Crest Hill house that they talked about, right? No, that was that was just before my time. I started in Vegas in 1990, and then. Uh, I moved to Phoenix. Then I lived out of my car for three years from 92 to 95. And that's when I moved, I moved to LA in 95 and like Hicks was already dead. Kinnison was already dead. But you were Jewel I, before I said, already cried on fucking Arsenio Hall. It was over. Right, um, right. Yeah. I, I think you, how is it in 85, you had an album that was called whatever happened to fun. Whatever happened to fun? Yeah, that was the first yeah. band I was ever in in '85. That was actually hey, you're 19 years old, and you're already bemoaning the death of fun and the height of cocaine years. <clears throat> that was our that was our bass player that wrote all the lyrics. He was heavily influenced by Elvis Costello as well. So, yeah, yeah and and dark shit. I mean, which is kind of like wait till you listen to the Le uh, Electric Angels uh, album lyrics and stuff like that. So yeah, oh, it was. I'm sorry to interrupt, I, but that's what it, it makes. Like the the death of Kinnison and all those guys, the rock and roll comedy era died with Kinnison. <laughs> you have to understand, Doug. I I mean, give the lyric credit to my bass player because I, then I joined a band a little bit later called Dad's Porno Mag, and our big song was "Smell My Finger." So it was a little bit lighter, I would say. And I used to call it a love song. Yeah, but well, back then, most of my act was kind of smell my finger jokes. I had no point of view when I was 25 years old. <laughs> I didn't have why, I, that, why I'm thinking of why, how, how we didn't cross paths before, because during those same years that you were, you know, because you said you moved, you eventually moved to Los Angeles in 95, right? You, you bashed it out at, the, I think it was in Las Vegas. Was it the backstage or part of those clubs that was it? Um, 
when I lived in Vegas, it was just that was at the tail end of the '80s comedy boom. 1990, there was still comedy on primetime network television. Sunday night comics on Fox. Like, there's never been stand-up comedy in primetime network since then. Uh, even though there's been a resurgence of comedy, it's uh, so there was an open mic like, every other bar. It was the cheapest thing. Like, fuck a cover band. We can get comics and they don't need fucking gear and they just a microphone. Uh, so at my second week of trying comedy, I worked six nights at different open mics. So I think the open mics work and I think rock show club shows work, but I want to know if you disagree or agree with me. I don't know if comedians and rock shows in the clubs actually work because, you know, Earlier in the like the seventies and eighties, I, I think Alice Cooper used to have Cheech and Chong as the opening act, and I think that was a big deal, right? I just yes, hang on. Yesterday I had uh, uh, Dennis uh, Locare Locare. God damn it, Dennis from Doctor Hook. I, oh wow, okay, man. I have to practice saying his fucking name. Is it is it fucking the cover of the Rolling Stone, Doctor yeah. Hook? Yeah, Sylvia's mother. When you're in love with a beautiful woman, and he said that they opened for Cheech and Chong. And I'm like, how does that fucking work? <laughs> like every time you have every comedian that's opened for a, a band has it's a fucking nightmare story. Nobody that was going to see music wants to hear a guy talk. Uh, <laughs> but what I, mean, I was able to catch my my sort of tail end of Los Angeles before I moved to New York, I was able to catch this really cool synergy. And I, you might have just missed it, but it was a time when comedy, rock and roll, because Ricky Rackman had this place called the Cat House. It was a club that where all the rocker rock and rollers went, and you had strippers that sort of fueled and funded yeah. the whole enterprise. Because you know, if, if you hang out with comedians and you hang out with rock and rollers, especially you know during those days. Pretty much penniless. Well, <laughs> yeah, there was probably Ron Jeremy, the fucking fossilized. Uh, no, but I'm saying like, like Kinnison always had porn chicks hanging around with him at the comedy store, right? But there was a synergy. Like was what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so all us rockers would, would would go to the comedy store, and then then the, the the comedy guys would come to see you know a rock show up at the Roxy or something like that, or the Coconut Teaser. And I don't know yeah. if you remember that place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, that's and then one of the places because I was not cool yet. I was not known. I had just shown up in LA. So I would like, I, I lived at Curson and uh, between uh, Fountain and Santa Monica. Dude, so I'm walking distance. Where? I, <laughs> 829 Curson. That's where I think we had to have crossed each other. Oh, get the hell out. Because so I was on, I was on Curson between, um, Melrose and uh, like uh, Melrose and Willoughby, right? Okay, Waring, so that's down by the snake pit. Yeah, exactly. A block, a block or two away from the snake yeah. pit, and then we we could always go watch a Sunday game there. And that's another thing that I think we have in common is we're both of us are pretty big uh, NFL fans, right? I, I I'm a, a huge football fan, and I have been since I was a kid. I don't know a fucking thing about the sport. I don't know the difference between a safety and a defensive back or I don't know what they do. I like the fucking uniforms. I like betting on it. I, but they make it so easy now with like fluorescent lights. I, I, this is how I explain to people because every year we have a Super Bowl party here in Sweden. I bring a bunch of my Swedish friends. And I try to educate them, try to educate 
you know, drunk Swedish guys at 1230 at night when the game oh, yeah. starts 1 a.m., right? So when they go, this is the yellow line. They only have to get to the blue line if, you know, to get another four tries. Okay, you know yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, that part. But, I, like, for, for at, at this age, I should know the specifics. I don't know what a, a fucking – oh, we're, uh, that's a, a slant route. You know, I, I did he catch it or not? I don't fucking I know. Care. Okay, we, we should know go routes. We should be able to read defenses. I'm exactly like you. I've, I've now, just now, after I don't know how many decades of watching NFL, now starting to look at things beside that are going out besides the ball, you know, besides the snap. So Yeah. I, I Sometimes I just scan the audience for really fucking goofy people, and then, then I pause and go, look at that stupid fuck up there. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, my attention span is terrible. So let's get back to you. Well, live- that's good. I, I I like that because it, I I think perhaps our audience might have that attention span as as well. Because I want to bop around a little bit like that. But I just want to close that out because because I won't ask any more yeah. NFL questions to you. But what did you think about this last year with not having? Uh, did you miss not having crowds there and hearing the sounds? No, because I hate. I I used to. I grew up as a Raiders fan back in the Kenny Stabler days. Yeah. Hello, I'm from Oakland. Yeah, yeah. So, so I love that. And then when they moved to LA, it was like all the fucking fans turned into gangbangers, and everyone's afraid to fucking go into the stands. So I loved the idea that they moved to Vegas, and all those assholes can't get in the stadium, so they're tailgating at 115 degrees, wearing a fucking Darth Vader costume, and melting to death inside their own fucking vanity. I feel it must be like Road Warrior, you know, when they finally do let fans back to, to into the stadium. The, the trip from L.A. to Vegas will probably be a lot like Road Warrior, you know. We see this some guy. Ah! <laughs> helicopter. Helicopter car. Exactly. No, but I, I, I grew I up in the 70s. Baka suit. <laughs> Imagine that. No, I I saw any Raiders would lose just the idea of one of those guys dressed like a fucking asshole having to go back to his Chevy Chevette with his thumbs in his pockets. Just I'm still dressed like this, but we just lost fifty-two to seven. Meh. Yeah, I, I've gotten used to it over the last fucking twenty years. Ever since the seventies, I feel. Yeah, Raiders are, are have always been my team, and 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 uh, you know, like I said, I grew up in the Bay Area in the '70s, so it was Oakland A's and 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 Raiders. And you didn't think so much about the Golden State Warriors, but the thing was, I actually the saw- why I love the Golden State Warriors is because nobody knew where they were from, unless yeah. you lived in California and knew it was the Golden State. It's like if they had the Keystone State fucking Mavericks, no one knows that's Pennsylvania. The, the only other thing I knew about that team back in those days, because now it's like a super team yeah. and, you know, this and that dynasty. But I knew Rick Barry, and he used to shoot free, free throws like grandma style. That was his, you know, grand Just style. Discussion where it's actually, yeah, someone was saying that the last guy that shot diaper shot, we used to call it. <laughs> uh, diaper shot. Was like, I love it. It was like 98% accuracy, but they just stopped doing it because it looks so, I don't know what, I don't know what the word for it is, but. Well, it doesn't look graceful, but, it, but you know what? It goes in. It's effective. Girl would throw a free throw. But, but it goes in. It, at least it went in for Rick. I get really uh, bad fucking hate mail from nine-year-old girls after I said that. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Well, anything to get canceled these days because they, they can't do it to you. They can't do it to you, Doug. You're, you're like, that's in my notes. This is going to last a while. I'm not going to force all of my fucking thoughts in a, like one sentence. So, but yeah, I, I want to talk about cancel culture with you. We will definitely do that. I, my whole point in closing out NFL and closing out the Raiders talk is in Los Angeles, I actually did get to see, well, it wasn't get to see, I fucking so, went to the game and saw Bo Jackson's last game. Wow. The one where he, where he broke his whole hip. I mean, yeah. his leg came out of his hip, and it was just like, and it didn't seem like anything. I think they were playing the Cincinnati Bengals, and it was just a regular run play. It's a regular, you know, he got the ball and ran, and somebody tackled him on the side, and then he kind of went a little bit weird and off to the side. And who would have known that that guy, that would have been the last of the L.A. That was kind of the last of the L.A. Raiders at that point. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think they closed at the same time, Bo Jackson in mm-hmm. L.A. Shit. So we're so so we're in LA and we're moving on. We're here with Doug Stanhope, folks. Thank you very much. And, and we might go, you know, a little bit uh off the track, off the off the track and not keep it a script, but I like that because uh yeah, please. Let's keep let's keep it fucked up. <laughs> well, like I'm saying, we had to have crossed paths at one point or another. Oh wait, Just- okay. That's, wait, that's where I was. Uh when coconut teaser, I remember that because I had just moved to LA. I could walk there from my ha- my apartment on Curson. Rent control, by the way, and it's still in the family, so to speak. I got that place, oh. one bedroom for four hundred and ten dollars a month in nineteen ninety five, and I think it's up to like nine hundred or eight hundred, where everything else that size would be like two thousand plus. You know who else had a house, a rent controlled yeah. house like that? Uh, Lemmy. Had one right oh, off of Mohini, and that's the reason why he would never leave that that beautiful apartment because I think it was like two hundred and fifty bucks, you know, like in, in two thousand seven or something. It was like some crazy deal that he had, and that's why. And it's I'm sure it's probably still in the you know in the family as well as as you so, said. Yes, yeah, so so I go to well, Lemmy's dead, so hopefully he he, he left a will. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> Someone has to take all his German paraphernalia, definitely. So so I show up at the coconut teaser thinking, I don't know anyone in L.A. I'm not cool. I'm not known. And I went to the coconut teaser, and it was one of those you know, nights where uh, no one's looking at me. No one's talking to me. The only time I had any fucking game is if it was after my own show and someone says, you're funny. And it was just one of those, I'm sitting in the corner. I feel like I'm fucking high school again. I don't know how to party. Like, uh, yeah, it was, I, I remember, that's how I remember the coconut teaser. The one time I went in there and I felt like the ugly girl at the fucking prom. I don't know, man, because I mean, that, that place for me, Len Fagan, I remember him so well. Um, I don't remember actually playing that many shows there because you would just get a little bit too blottoed there. At the, you know, because it was right there. It was too close to everybody that was having some sort of after party uh, somewhere where you could. Yeah. And, and you might not be invited to that after party, but you would inevitably sneak in to somewhere that was li- somebody that was living up in Laurel Canyon or maybe someone that was living down in West Hollywood because you had that. Laurel, it was right on Laurel Canyon and Sunset. So you yeah. just you had to make a choice at one point. And there was no Uber back then. So you just had to find the most sober person that you were with, hopefully. Yeah, I wasn't. 
I, I grew into this, Ryan. But at that time when I had just showed up, I, didn't, I, I, I was never a person that could just, you know, ingratiate myself into a conversation. I would just wait for someone to talk to me and it didn't happen. You have to be somewhat outgoing, but I was terrified. Uh, and I was not a rock and roller. I didn't know shit about music. I couldn't dance. Like, all right, I, I need to just stay at comedy clubs. It's, it's. But did you have a circle of guys, gals, comedians that you hung hung around in those days because there are a lot of similarities between rock and rollers and uh comedians in the sense of we experience so much of the same lifestyle like whenever when anybody ever says oh man touring is so amazing it must be such a you know non-stop party and you're like no it's so far from that at times it can be fun and that's why we do it well, you get to it, and, and, and I have this actually in my notes because I looked, I looked at your previous guests because I, I really know Dick about music. I, I, I do know Alice Cooper, but I saw Jamie Kilstein. Yeah, yeah, Jamie. How the fuck do you know Jamie Kilstein of all people? And he's one of those people that I met because, like you say, you get burned out on the road, but – when you have a new kid, like when I met him, he was an open micer that traveled from New York City to Baltimore just to watch my show. And for you know some twist of fate, the MC that was scheduled did not show up. So I go, hey, you want to fucking work for the weekend? He had told me, I came down here. He's just a broke kid. I came down here just to see you. And I'm like, hey, you want to work the weekend? There's no lodging, but you and your buddy can crash on my hotel room floor. And it was just like I was – burned out on the road but when you watch it through fresh eyes we're gonna get to sleep on his floor and work it's fucking great and I, you must have someone like that in your life that you know was was starry-eyed when they were yeah kids. i mean i i feel that that but then that to me is like passing the torch or whatever i can look on you know pass on to them yeah. i can pass on some sort of experience which you obviously have you you've been able to uh i mean there's not one comedian and, and jamie's going to come up again a little bit later in the in the podcast but uh there's not one comedian that i've talked to that you know doesn't mention within you know first five names first maybe top three it's always stanhope comes up and you're you know it and sometimes I know you don't like talking about yourself so much. So nobody, you know, but at the same time, what I'm getting at is musicians talk about hit songs, right? Yeah. Uh, actors talk about some sort of movie, some sort of classic movie they've been into. It seems as though sometimes comedians can't really talk about their greatest hits or their greatest bits, or do they? Because a lot of times comedians want to just, do their thing and then 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 they move on and they don't do any of the material. Right. Well, yeah. You once you record it and put it out, it's the as everyone knows, it's the opposite of music. Opposite. Yeah. We we, we, we do a song. We have to do a song. That joke. Nobody ever says that. <laughs> but do you ever? I mean, does it make you feel awkward to talk about some of the uh, classic bits that you've done that? Oh, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because uh, I, I, I never watch myself, even just uh, my, if, if I walk in and you know, my, my producer is 
editing the podcast we just did last night and I hear my voice, I'm like, I leave the room. But a couple of years ago, I forced myself to go on these just road trips, just locally and alone play all of the audio in the car of every special I've put out and force myself to listen to it. Because at some point, like after you know, 30 years I've been doing this, you go, I kind of feel like I'm just rewriting old bits with new words. And, or maybe I'm like a couple times I've caught myself stealing my own bits going, that sounds kind of familiar. And then you go, Oh yeah, you did that in fucking 2006 on some fucking dumb recording. But I but think we are, I, as musicians, we do that all the time and we get credited for it. We just rewrite the same song, try to change the chords around a little bit. And then that's a, that's, that's an okay thing. Well, that's how you get your sound. Right. The same way a comedian finds his voice. Okay, this is his point of view. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm so far removed from the days when I recorded that shit that I can look at it like I'm an outsider. Like, oh, just like my mullet. Like, I can watch that now because it's silly. I'm a fucking old man and I can appreciate how fucking ridiculous I was when I started. Uh, oh. So, yeah, it's kind of fun at this point. But it, it never was. I had blonde dreadlocks thinking that was like the, the shit I had, blonde, you know, at one point. And I also had a mohawk, uh, much like yourselves. I didn't, I dyed it a, a few times. It only goes back to my bald spot. It's a faux hawk. Well, yeah. Well, that, no, I, four hawk. Like, okay. I got, I have a, a beanie that, that keeps all that sort of in check and it's sort of, you know, it's still my hair, but you know, I know it's going someday. So then I just feel like where the, you know, the Andy McCoy headband or whatever you got to do, the Brett Michaels sort yeah. of thing, as long yeah. as it goes, you know, <laughs> I'm, the, the thing about some, some of the classic things that you've said, I think are good ideas as well. For instance, the bit I'm talking about is the, uh, the, the spaceship to Glark or the, 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 oh, yeah. the trip to Glark where, where your wow. theory That's of evolution, your theory of evolution I've tried to explain this and I might've been a little bit inebriated at times to people really late at night. And if you get someone at the right moment, they, it sounds very convincing, you know? So if, if, if anybody in our audience hasn't uh, watched, haven't listened to. That's the most underrated, like as much as I hated Oslo, that's the one that was previous to it that we were doing the cover art for. And I, when I listened to that, because I, I kind of dismissed it after I did that, and I went back and listened to that, I go, fuck, this is a really good album. There's some <laughs> great shit on this. That's the one I'm talking about. And the, yeah, the, that was, I think Bridge to Burning, Oslo Bridge. No, no, Oslo is the one that I was... The one you're talking about is the uh, uh, From Across the Street. That's the one I was doing the cover art for the day that we filmed Oslo. Okay, no, so did did you record it in Oslo though, from across the street? No, not the, oh. the, the bit you're talking about. That was we recorded at Cape Fear. Uh, Got it. Got but it. It, that's the one that I like. I kind of forgot about. Big ship to Glark, though, dude. If you ever want to hear D Doug Stanhope's theory of uh, evolution, I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and uh, that's all I'll say because, you know, you don't want to fucking, I don't want to retell the jokes. I can't do that. I'm fucking play guitar. But another classic one, I think, off the same album, or maybe it was one of the albums before. Or is it, right after. it was something about black glory holes. Black holes, but they're glory holes. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> 
through a black hole and someone on the other side of the black hole sucks your dick in a different galaxy and you pretend it's a chick. <laughs> As you do. Exactly. And and there was another one that resonated with me because, you know, obviously living in the States all these years, then I moved another similarity that we both moved out of LA in 2005. I got out. I, I just went all the way to the North Pole. You You went to Arizona. But it was the bit about the royalty. Oh yeah, and it's, and it's freaking classic because honestly, it couldn't be even more. Uh, it couldn't be any more pertinent for today with how useless and yeah. other people's baggage. I love that the one language. It was a, a lot of great bits on 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 those albums. So, like I've said, folks, you're going to go down this uh, Doug Stanhope rabbit hole. Uh, hopefully, after this That's podcast. Hope. Yeah, why not? <laughs> But, but you don't really see comedians' greatest hits tours, or do or do they actually do well, that? We're, we're, we, we've been talking about this because unlike music, you can't copyright material. Where I'm, I'm finding the loophole in this. Back to your uh, point, where where I say I, I'm not smart. I'm talking about like like if I have uh, like a bit that has a libertarian angle. Then the Libertarian Party says, hey, will you come and speak at our fucking event? And I'm like, no, the entirety of my knowledge about that subject is in the bit. I don't have any follow-up. So <laughs> all yeah. I have. I've yeah. laid it out there. Shit. I'm not saying I'm fucking stupid, but I, I, I probably don't know any more about the subject I'm doing a bit about than is already present, if that makes sense. But when you're doing the bit, you definitely research it. And I'm wondering if you if you approach it the same way as someone would, a musician would writing a song. Does it go through a bunch of different incarnations? Of yes. It? Okay. And Absolutely. Uh, in fact, the, the last special, I had just a little bit of Me Too stuff. But I had been doing all of that before Me Too was even a fucking thing. And you think, oh, I, I better get this bit up before this whole thing dies. I think it started with uh, uh, Dan Tosh. Uh, yeah, yeah, he had a, a kerfuffle with a blogger. <laughs> I love, I love your fucking producer. Yeah, uh, that's Vic Delfont right there for you. He's on top I, of it, baby. I, I, I was already doing bits based on Andy Andrus' molestation story, and then the fucking Dan Tosh made it more relevant. And but. As the fucking whole process kept going on, I'm reworking the bit to the point where if I went back from that point to the last special, that would be like five years of trying to rework this bit to make it like current or fit with a specific incident. And yeah, we're talking about the dying of a last breed, the, 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 the latest special, right? Yeah. Okay, because we're going to get into that. We call that the main event in just a bit. But obviously, folks, um, I'm having too good of a time having a cocktail, uh, having a good conversation with you. Yeah, I hope you don't have another fucking podcast scheduled later because we'll still be talking. Hello, folks. Roxy here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. I'm very excited today to announce our newest sponsor, Biodynamic. They produce some of the industry's very best quality microphones and headphones, and that's why they're the perfect fit right here in the trenches. You're hearing my voice today through the great TG V70 microphone. This mic is perfect for any home studio, plus I get to use it on stage. I have paired the mic with the legendary Biodynamic Studio headphones 
and they're called the DT770 Pros. These are amazing for analytical listening, truly the most authentic sound experience I've ever had. So whether it's listening to a podcast or one of your favorite albums, I definitely recommend these. Treat yourself right with Biodynamic Gear, the gold standard in high fidelity. Now, let's get back to the podcast. You just talked about comedians, and you, you mentioned Daniel Tosh. Um, now, would you consider, because to me, you know, without fanboying out too much, I feel you have this legacy that transcends old school comics all the way to the new comics that are today. And who do you sort of consider the comedians that are your peers? Because I mean, I, I spoke of Dice and Kennison and Carlo Bo and, and those guys, I, I kind of look at those guys as a bit more of the old school guys, but maybe the guys of your day, Tosh would, would Dane cook be one. Uh, Dane cook was my nemesis. Uh, oh. Well before either of us were known since 95, was it that? Uh, was it the San Francisco comedy yeah, sort comedy of competition? And his manager tried to. Be, it's a three-week competition that you know if you make it the whole you know three weeks. And his manager had tried to bet me prize money. He's like, "My guy's gonna be in it too. You want to bet prize money?" And I go, "I have no idea who your guy is, and I really don't know." And the first night, his guy Dane Cook like came in second the first night of the whole thing. And I'm and me and Hedberg were doing it and we didn't even place in the top five. We're like, fuck this competition. And I got really drunk and I saw his manager at the bar up at, I think it was, was it Cobbs or punchline wherever in, in the Bay area. And I go, fuck you. I'll bet you a hundred bucks right now. I win this entire thing outright, regardless of your fucking guy. You don't want to make that bet. Yeah. Fucking try me. And so, so he Sorry. turned it. And it turned into me and him the entire three weeks, neck and neck for first place. And I did win. And uh, But then Dane Cook became my fucking nemesis. Like, it's ingrained in me. I didn't have anything personally against him. And I just finally had him on a podcast, you know, however, what, 25 years later? Uh, like, I mean, mending answer, old fucking wounds. Answer me this, uh, Doug. Are, were those things back then? Because what you're talking to me, this comedy competitions, it sounds a little bit like a battle of the bands in some ways. But was it much? It was much more. But I, I think bands are like well, at least the old stories from when I would vaguely listen to music. It was always a battle. I remember being a kid going to concerts, and they would just regularly boo the opening band. And you hear all the stories about someone fucking stealing so and so's shit out of the green room because they shouldn't be the opener and. The fucking the headlining band comes off stage and they've pissed all over the couch in the green room. And so there was an inherent fuck you in rock and roll where in comedy, generally not. It was only because of that bet. I really didn't have any beef with. It's just not I, uh, Dave Attell, who is the best comic of my generation. Hands down. I will argue it till the end. When Dane people Cook, say you I, are, but yeah, I, I like Dave as well. Yeah. Yeah, when when Dane Cook was at his height, his zenith, I remember talking to Dave Attell on the phone. He goes, oh, yeah, Dane Cook, he's the perfect comedian for a 16-year-old girl who's crying because she just had an abortion. <laughs> a pretty good impression. And you are kind of good at doing impressions because you actually did a John Lydon impression. Oh no! Yeah, I, it was it was the worst impression ever. 
no, but but here's the thing, folks. All right, this I is what happens when you do research. When I do research for for in the trenches, I, I like to go deep. And like I said, I had a couple hours today. I mean, it's, it's early in the morning over there in in Phoenix and or, or Arizona and Bisbee. It's it's fucking late over here in Stockholm. So I've actually had all day to go down these internet sort of rabbit hole, and I found a clip where a radio station called you, and they weren't. They were thinking that they were talking to the lead singer of the Sex Pistols, and then you, did you just get on the line? And then what? How did this story go? I was scheduled to do like an 11 a.m. interview with some fucking guy. I don't know. Uh, and my phone rang at like six in the morning, and I'm like, motherfucker. And then it rang again, and then I called back. Like I'm just gonna rail on for whoever the fuck this is calling me at six in the morning. And then I got a, a recording. Uh, uh, however, I figured out, oh, this is the guy that's supposed he left me a message saying, hey, this is so and so. Uh, we have a, a, a interview scheduled. Uh, uh, it's just going to be basic things. And we're going to talk about PIL and this. And I, I registered PIL and I go, I think that's one of the sex pistols turned that. And so I, I wake up, I'm still fucking, my, my eyes are coated with fucking gunk. I can barely focus. My contacts are foggy, but I Google searched. And I'm like, okay. So then I called the guy back and went, oh, I'm sorry. And I do this horrible British accent that I'm trying to fake while I'm looking at his Wikipedia page to figure out how to lie and pretend. And this guy had no fucking clue. And he's like, uh, so, uh, so the new album, uh, what's your favorite track on the new album? And I go, well, if you know me, I, my first track is always my favorite track. I'm just... <laughs> my first cut's always my favorite on every, every LP I've put out. <laughs> Anything. And if I get stumped, I would take a mouthful of water and pretend to be vomiting into the toilet for the sound effect because it would give me time to make up a lie. <laughs> It was one of more, it was one of, a little bit more of a Ron Wood thing too. You'd sort of like do some indecipherable like sort of English, or maybe even a Depp thing. Maybe it was a little bit of like Captain Jack sort of like before I knew Depp. But I was <laughs> I was just making the point. What like I found out everything that I was doing. Like I was saying, I'm I was still drunk from the night before because I'm going through a horrible divorce. And then later on, I found out like that guy's been sober for fucking decades, and his wife just died. Oh, man. <laughs> this guy had done that's, that's right up your alley. That's that literally is right up your alley of of like what you would talk about or what you could joke about. The thing is, um... <laughs> well, wait, hang on, it gets better because this guy like he never caught on. And then I go, oh, you know what? I still have to do an interview with this guy later. Later. And uh, he's not going to, I go, but in, in the, you know, in the, those five hours, he's going to figure it out. But no, he called me and then he was asking me the exact same questions that he was asking fake John Lydon. Like, he, like you've done no fucking zero research. And no. he put it out. We waited till he actually released. It, 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 it was transcribed in like Huffington Post and it aired on whatever fucking internet network. And then we waited until it aired. And then we put out that, yeah, that's Doug Sando pretending to be John Lydon. 
And he's like begging my manager, can you please take that down? It's going to cost me my job. And like, it should cost you your fucking job. Yeah, I can take his job. I do more research on the damn fucking podcast for nothing than he does for a gig. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had something similar happen with, uh, I was in a band called Electric Angels, and there was another band called Electric Boys. Out at the same exact time when our first albums came out, night night nineteen ninety, when you're starting comedy, but we're at we're in Boston and we're at WAAF. You must know that radio station, right? The Laugh Giraffe. (laughs) Grew up with that. So so we go there during and and we we get an interview. So we're asked to come in and we go into this big studio and we're like, wow, this is big studio that we've never been in before. We're just some band out of New York and now we're you know now we're our album just came out. Maybe this is the way it is. And they start asking all these questions about, so how do you like it here? What do you think about the weather? And and we're like, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. And it's kind of similar to where we are because we were in New York and it's kind of sunny and the same shit. And they're thinking that we're the electric boys from Sweden oh, who shit. have a big hit song. And we're just this band, Electric Angels, that are trying to make a living, scratching it out in clubs. And so halfway through, the guy goes, I noticed your accents are so Americanized. Uh, do, where did you learn that? And we're like, because we're from America. And then, then they, then they, it looks like they, they see each other. They look at each other and they had to go, you're electric angels and not electric boys. And so we walk out of there and they, and, and we walk by and we see the two guys from electric boys who are all dressed in scarves and all the same sort of clothes. And they get kind of looking at us like, <laughs> okay. All right. You just reminded me of something that happened in Sweden. Go ahead. I know, no, but but that's that's the the fucking irony. And now I'm friends with the guys in Electric Boys because I fucking live in Sweden yeah. now. So what happened in Sweden for you? Story. I was I was doing uh, some radio station in when I was playing in Stockholm, and uh, I got bumped because uh, they had an Elvis impersonator that was a special needs child, but a special needs Elvis, and <laughs> I got bumped like. Okay, we're going to ha- – I know we had you scheduled for whatever, 8 a.m., but we're going to move you to 9 because so-and-so is going to uh, – he's on a time limit <laughs> or, like, his, his diaper's full. we got to get him. <laughs> and that I couldn't find on the internet. If instead I found the John Lydon thing. I, I, I don't know. I haven't thought of that fucking memory until you brought this up. Uh, Vic, can, Vic, can you put a picture of that uh, special needs Elvis up right now, please? Vic doesn't see – Vic says he doesn't have it right now, but uh. – do you know uh hang on this i wanted to ask you do you know pablo francisco that name sounds very 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 familiar he's uh he's a comic uh he's a friend of mine i haven't seen in years uh he's he he has he has he has issues pablo Uh, francisco where's he from he's he's actually from tucson uh, okay. But he's an L.A. comic, but he's huge in Scandinavia. And when I was playing in, in Sweden, I think we had two dates, uh, maybe three, Malmo, Stockholm. And but yeah. Pablo, he, he uh, his big uh, his big bit that he milked for his entire career, even past when the guy died, was the movie voice guy. One man, one way. OK. He, you, you know go. the guy that does the previews. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's summer. He did a perfect impression. He was mostly almost a sound effect guy. He did voices, so he's perfect for English as a second language. Even though they're very good at that second language in Scandinavia, 
very easily digestible. A kind of a Dane Cook meets Michael Winslow. Uh, but we he was touring around the same time in Sweden, and I'd see posters for him where he's got his just his Sweden days were like 40 cities. And I go, I don't think there's 40 cities in Sweden. Yeah, more, more gigs than I've had in Sweden. And I, I, I would I would make fun of him on, on my shows. Oh, you guys love that Pablo Francisco, huh? One man, one joke that he's bled for over 20 years. <laughs> and we get to the like one of the last shows we were doing was in Helsinki. And we check into the hotel and I go out to smoke and I'm looking at this like fucking eight-story, two-block-long building across from me that has a banner. The entire fucking top of the building that says Pablo with the dates, and I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" And it was it was, it was a Pablo. It was the fucking art museum. It was a Pablo Picasso fucking exhibit. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> so I go to the fucking. There's a mall with a food court, and I went to find food, and I found. I just randomly. Uh, the food court was almost like a, like an Indian uh, marketplace with all these tiny little stalls. And I found some sushi and I, I double take where I see Flip Schultz is a comic that I've worked with in Fort Lauderdale in the 90s. I go, Flip Schultz? What the fuck are you doing in a fucking Helsinki food court? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm working with Pablo, not the Picasso Museum. But they were, they were also in town. And uh, sounds like one of your uh, well, you have to have stories about this. He's like, yeah, I'm I, I'm opening for him because I my half is opener, but half is handler to keep him off crack. <laughs> what if he took off a mask and it was Dane Cook? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but have, have you have you had like you have to have stories about people that okay, you're you're kind of in charge of keeping the fucking singer off a. Of, you know, yes. on the straight and narrow. Have you ever put well, in that handler position? Yeah, not luckily not for Alice Cooper because you know with yeah. Alice it, it would have been a little bit too crazy. I think to to be in a band with him back in his heyday, you know, yeah. like back when he was like because he, he you know he he told me he'd wake up with a Budweiser, go to bed with a Budweiser. That was, it was it was always in his hand. It was a microphone or a beer, and uh, so I knew I've only known him, you know clean and sober so but i have been in enough that because yeah. i met him through debt and i guess that's go, right okay. because that's the thing he plays you know everyone that's listening right now is like yeah we know, Rocky, we, we know that he plays in the hollywood vampires but um i'm surprised that we haven't met through that before because Depp's come up with us enough times where i thought you might be in the in the same orbit uh when when he was playing when we were playing you know perhaps an la show he came up at the pantages and I, I i do have to say this about depp he was one of the best prepared musicians that's ever come up and jammed with alice cooper and that's probably how it all worked out with the hollywood vampires he ended up being in a band with joe perry and everybody but the thing was you know i thought he was just going to come up for a couple songs and then he goes no man you know you know Yo, man, come come over to the house. We'll practice a little bit, and then I will, we'll play like six songs. Uh, all right, cool. So everybody went over to that house that he has, and where he has the jam room in. Yeah, and and so sixty-four, eighty-four. Anyway, yeah, he learned all the songs like perfect, except for Poison. Right, the one song that he hadn't really gotten down to, and he and then he goes, brother, 
I'll have poison down by tomorrow. And I said, I go, I have no doubts you will. And so when it, when the next day came, that guy came up and played half the set with us. So it was like he was very very well prepared and i'm sorry to cut your story off about how you how, when you guys met but uh so you have met alice before during was it a hollywood vampire show or what was it yeah it was i was staying at depths and uh so like, you want to go to this uh we're doing a benefit at a high school it was a a, a benefit for some kind of private school so i, just, I saw him playing in a fucking basketball court for some private fucking school with the vampires and like I, Alice, I know. I, I was going to ask you because you're about the same age. I I knew I was going to fanboy out, and I was reticent. I know I'm going to be drinking, and I know he's a clean and sober guy, and just don't fanboy out about one particular album that I knew every fucking probably still know every lyric to, and it's Ooh. from the inside. Wow. That was his sober album too. And a bunch of great musicians on that album. It was about his time in a mental institution. Yeah. And I go, he probably doesn't even want to ever hear that album again because it's a bad time. And what I want to bring up is there's a lot of albums from those days that I go, why would I have, like I knew Alice Cooper and fucking all the songs that you had to know, you know, 18. Schools out. 18. Schools out yeah, all those, uh, and this was one that didn't really have any hits on it. And I think there was a, a period of time. Did you have where you would get albums from the library? Yes. Yes. I still have albums that I have not returned. I don't <laughs> even want to know what the late fees are now. But but they were always the worst ones. Because I'll tell you exactly which ones they are. I mean, because I know it. I have I have a Devo album. Uh, the one D Evolution, the one that had we are we are not man, we are Devo D E V O. Yeah. I have that one. I have Heart Bebe Lebu or something like that. Fifi Hotel Heavy Horses, only because it was available for free and I hadn't figured out how to Columbia House Record Tape Club yet. Oh well, dude, that 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 was the way. Uh, that that a lot of us discovered music, and and I've heard you talk about that columbia house thing um did you ever actually join a columbia house yeah I got in trouble i was 10 years old i i just had to look this up because dr hook was like I, we just interviewed fucking dr hook and uh he was like i had tweeted this like do you remember the first albums you ever stole from columbia house and he responded with i think it was crosby stills nash and young and i'm like what that was a 70s thing. You were already a fucking a star in the 70s and you're still <laughs> You could have afforded the albums. You could have got the albums for free. That's what he, he wrote back. He said, Well, I was on Columbia House at the time, so they probably took it out of my royalties. Oh yeah, definitely. Shit. Columbia yeah. Right. I used to like, okay, so my next door neighbor, Adam Wakeling, he used to add, actually, he was part of that Columbia house. And so I would remember the eight track tapes that he'd get. He, I don't know why he opted for the eight track tapes thinking that that was going to be the future, right? Eight track tapes with fade ins and fade outs, but uh, they were, there were albums like Angel, White Hot. I don't know if you remember the band Angel. They no. were like, kind of like, uh, they were like a counterpart of Kiss where Kiss was, you know, uh, all dark and sort of scary angel was white and sort of heavenly. So it was like the same manager, um, that kind of stuff. But, uh, I, my, the albums I remember were those KTEL albums where 
there'd be a ton of different songs from the original artist, from the original singers, but then there'd be some albums where they try to hoodwink you. They try to hoodwink you. You go, why is this available for 99 cents? Oh, this is not the fucking actual village people. These guys are just posing as gay. <laughs> Skyrockets in flight, afternoon Ooh. delight, and it'll be some sort of some sort of version of it that was crap, and it was it was it wasn't crap, but it, it was probably you know it just wasn't the real thing. But I yeah. do remember Doctor Hook being on one of those albums that uh, I think it was the K Tell. It was uh, either either K Tell or it was Ronco. Ronco Records, yeah, that was another one. yeah, and Ginsu Knives, all in the same era. Uh, uh, ELO out of the blue, I think is the first. Uh, so I, I I just deep dived this. So I want to purge it. What I what I I remember stealing Bob Seger's Stranger in Town. Uh, I found like four that I go. I know I got that, and that's when I went. Wait, no, I wouldn't have got that from Columbia House. That must have been from the library. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Kansas album in in my library connection somewhere. Somewhere there's a Kansas. Oh, yes. I, I, I know. I, I picture the cover. Uh, <laughs> what about but, Warren Zevon? Oh, was there a Warren Zevon album in there? No, oh. I, I was looking at, like, I was going through some site that had the top songs of, uh, you know, every uh, year. So that's how I pinned down when I fucked over Columbia House record and tape. Okay, I know I had that. That was 77. That was 78. Columbia House would uh, allow retailers six months of exclusivity before they'd put it on the fucking tape a penny to the postcard thing. So I was 77, 78, I was 10 or 11. I remember my mother going batshit going, you're going to get bad credit or some shit. I'm like, no, how do they they know? How do they know? I wonder if that's what it all ends up on as a Columbia house. Yeah, sorry, we'd love to sell you this house, but if, if you, if you look back inside your credit, yeah, my fucking head is ping ponging all over the fucking charts right now. But uh, so Alice Cooper cut to I get drunk at their show. I know he's clean. Don't so fanboy, don't fanboy, don't fanboy. I on. ran out. I ran out. I was like in the wings backstage. So I ran out at one point to take a picture of fucking Johnny. And he's like, fuck you. I'm on stage taking pictures. I'm that asshole. Like, yeah. And uh, afterwards, I, I talked to Alice Cooper and I go, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm that guy. Hey, fucking from the inside. And he lit up. It was uh, where he's like, he's records. every one of those stories is true. Jackknife Johnny was a real guy. Like, yeah. And he'll tell you about those guys. We've, we've done so many albums. We've done so many songs off that album. You over just the years. Did, uh, fucking from across the street. It's the album that no one knows. And you just brought up bits from that. And I'm like, fuck yeah, you know that? <laughs> yeah. But, but those are the, those are the ones that, that, you know, they're classics. Those are the ones that, that, that sort of make you, that, re, that make you, you, you might know the, the hits, so, so to say, so to speak, but those are the ones that make you a true, true fan of, of the band. And I didn't that, tell him I really got it from the library. It's the only one we had. I didn't good album to get from the library. Shit. You know, Steve Lukather played on that album. Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick played on that album. Um, you know, there's a lot of great musicianship. It's one of the fucking best songs. I best took song that serious. Yeah, yeah. We All did that a couple years ago. Having a joke and a drink and a smoke and then I passed out on the floor. Yeah, man. See, and how do you say you don't like music? See, that's the thing. I I I feel that music is the great sort of 
denominator, maybe the big great communicator, as well as comedy, because there's certain types of music you just don't like. There's certain types of comedy people just don't like. But if you can agree on music and, and certain bands and certain comedians, I think everybody has that. And that's a it's, it's a it's a bonding thing, no? There, there's there's a it's a bit that never worked. Uh, but when people say what what kind of music do you like? And I I, I picked out a specific uh, Alan Parsons project had a song uh, that was uh, it was a lyric that says uh, uh, the sun in your eyes makes some of your lies worth believing. And because of the moment that I was in and a girl, probably that lyric affected me, but the rest of the song is shit. And I don't really know any other Alan Parsons project songs that I know of. So if, if you're asking me what type of music I like, it's that one lyric or Dr. Hook pack your umbrella. Cause Sylvia's starting to rain. That's the kind of music I like just that much. And maybe the rest I fucking hate. I don't know. But maybe there's some songs too from the '90s, like because there was a lot of bands that during those days, those LA days, there were some really good times. Maybe a band like, did you know Adam from Counting Crows? Did you ever? Counting Crows is that that would be my number one if I had to pick a favorite. And we're too old to have favorites. August and everything after is their first album. I I know that by heart, and I still can play it to this day and love every song on it. I, I thought Adam was always a cool guy. He, he used to, he, for fun, he will, at the height of his sort of popularity, he's down at the Viper Room in the downstairs little bar. I don't even know if it's still there or if even the Viper Room's there at this point, folks. But um, there was a little back bar in the, in the in underneath. And he used to just, you know, he would just be the bartender there some nights where you just fly in there and stuff like that. W did you get into that whole uh Los Angeles club scene before you got out in 95. Cause that was right around that time where there was, no, a lot I, was of I was never a guy that was like, I remember uh, was the sky bar across from the comedy store. That was the one. Yes. At the hotel, at the Mondrian. Yeah, Mondrian. Wow. I would have never fucking come up with that reference if it weren't for mimosas. And uh, so I remember like that was the cool place and all the fucking cool people that like you that would go to the comedy store. Then they'd show up over there and I, I go, well, you have to be on the list. It was one of those places. So I go, I was drunk enough to have enough self-confidence to try to palm the guy at 20 to see if that would work to get me in. And he, he just looked at me and shook his head. It's a giant black guy. And just shook his head. And I'm like, well, I tried. And I looked down and I realized I had pulled out a one instead of a <laughs> Like, I didn't buy this guy with a single dollar bill. I just emasculating and fuck this. Canadian and dollar would have been best. That's where I found my crew was at the Coach and Horses. You remember ah, the horses? Yeah, those little, those little dive bar. The Coach and Horses was right on Sunset. Just on the same side down from Coconut Teaser. And it was like so scary when Hedberg and I first found it. Like it's a perfect day drinking bar, but you're almost afraid to go in there. And we'd look in and there's like one old sea seahorse postured guy nursing a fucking drink. And this hideous, the bartender was like mama from Throw Mama from the Train. <laughs> it was hipster before hipster almost in that sense. Because it became hip when they fired the old woman, 
She scared everyone away. She threw a blind guy up for having a dog. And the regulars are like, Ginger, it's a... She's like, it's a sign that says no dogs. <laughs> but he's blind. I don't care there's a sign. You'd be, you'd be done with a beer and talking. I, I was always drinking, but someone else would be done I with their the, beer. The coaching horses was for professionals. For you know, the, the tourist version of that might have been, and, and honestly, I actually like that area as well. It was a little bit farther down Hollywood and Sunset, but the, uh, the what was called the Burgundy Room. Did you ever yeah. go to that place? I never went there, but I remember it existing. And there was another couple places, and you'll see it in, I think, uh, it was called the Firefly. There was another place on Firefly. off of Hollywood. I'm sure, I played at the, there was a, a brief moment. There was another one. The Dragonfly, I'm sure you played at because the Dragonfly was a club. But but the, I'm talking about these old school sort of dive bars, kind that you'd see in. Remember the Mickey Rourke film, uh, Bar. Um, Firefly, yeah, it's Bar about Bukowski. Yeah, yeah, what, these what, were all Bukowski-like bars, and the Coach and Horses was the best because everyone was afraid to go in there, so you'd have the place to yourself. And then they finally fired that haggard old woman and hired a hot chick. And that's when it became dive friendly. And I would actually bar back for free just because I'm claustrophobic. I knew the bartender. I go, let me just fucking wash glasses. And because it was so packed in this tiny bar, I would rather work for free <laughs> than be out there. And I remember Janine Garofalo coming in with some Saturday, I think it was Chris Catan, Saturday Night Live. And one of the one of our regular guys was bothering him. Hey, you're the Saturday Live guy. And she came up. I'm just fucking washing dishes behind the bar. And she said, can you get that guy to stop bothering Chris Catan? And I go, I don't really work here. And she's like, fuck you. I don't think she said fuck you, but she like I, but I really she said it with her eyes. She said it yeah. with her eyes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So, so not only a beef with Dan Cook back in the day, it's Janine Groloflo was an enemy as well. And uh, I love it. We're just counting up the beefs, you know. <laughs> but I was going to get you. Tell me a beef that you've had with someone. Eric. Oh, come on, man. I'm, 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 I just had him on Tracy Guns from L.A. Guns. And I'm having kind of like the same with the Dan Cook story that you're having. Tracy and I are going to like sort of hopefully, you know, it, it, it turned out good. But uh, anyhow, that that you know Tracy from LA Guns, good guy. You know, no, but, I, just, I just remember LA Guns being talked about like Guns and Roses, like that was the band that should have happened but didn't for whatever reason. Yeah, but they had they had their they definitely had their say they they definitely had their hits. They had they got a bigger record deal than Electric Angels, and they never got uh, confused with Electric Boys. I'll tell you that they much. never showed up at the library. <laughs> God, I love the fact that you had library albums too. I'm telling you, man, I'm trying to think of, of the other ones now in my head, but I, I know it's the Devo album. I know it's the Heart album, and I know it's a Kansas album. Those are definitely three of them. I don't see, I live in a fucking town of 5,000 people on the Mexican border, uh, two hours from the closest airport. So there's no like comics that I hang out with. If I'm touring, I'm bringing a friend of mine, you know, uh, Junior Stopko or someone, Andy Andrist, that I've known for 20 plus years. Uh, and I don't get to hang out at the comedy store. I don't, and I don't watch comedy on fucking Netflix because usually it's either terrible or I'm afraid that it's going to be something that I'll forget that I heard and I'll subliminally steal it. Like, uh, you know, 
don't infect my head with a joke that I go, oh, why didn't I come up with that? And three blackouts later, I write, writing it in my notebook like I thought of it. <laughs> great idea. No, sometimes I've come up with great songs that somebody else wrote. Yeah, I, I think that's happened David before. Tell was the fuck legendary. The uh, Everyone knows this about Attell. You would get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning from Attell going, listen, I just came up with this bit. Have you ever heard anyone do <laughs> about uh, naked girls on pogo sticks and i'm like no 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 one's ever thought of naked girls on pogos it was just i thought i heard you say it okay good night oh shit well then again i, I <laughs> so then if we can't talk about the today's comedians because you don't really follow them you're in your place you're in your safe place in bisbee i, I, I want to move I found a few like I, i've become over covid because of covid where I did actually listen to some new guys and uh, like Nate Bargot Bargotzi. Uh, okay, Nate. There's uh, 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 a few. Uh, well, Shane Gillis. He's the guy that got hired and then fired within a day from Saturday Night Live for some what they called you know some shit he had said on his podcast about Chinatown years before. Uh, right, right. That's because it's today's world. Being a comedian is probably the same thing as trying to be a rock star in today's climate. It just doesn't. It seems like it's impossible. If you look at seventies uh, rock and roll, like how many libraries would cease to exist if you were to you know, <laughs> look at all the green room stories or the Led Zeppelin spanking a girl with a fish in the green room. Like, okay, we're going to erase their entire library of work. Like, porn and rock and Apparently roll. it was a bit more than spanking, Doug. <laughs> yeah, that, but the, that, I'm just saying, of the legendary stories, yes. like, people are getting canceled for an improper joke in the workplace. Yeah, well, let's go back to the fucking, you know, the who. <laughs> and shit, they did it. Yeah, you would have to eliminate them. So, yeah, porn, except for Ron Jeremy, and... 70s rock and roll or even 80s i don't yeah what what happened to fun whatever happened to fun it all comes back to that but it all it does come back to this thing we like to call the main event and um it's the the uh dying of a last breed which is your newest special and what sort of dovetails into what you just said and i hate to use the word dovetail, but I just seemed so appropriate right now, was that you actually start out your special with a written apology. And I noticed that there's a couple times that you've done that in albums where you'll start off with sort of explaining something that's very obvious. It's almost like not even, it's like, is this going to be a Doug Sanhope record? And then it becomes Doug Sanhope. But uh, I, I noticed it again in that the, the not to keep bringing back that Oslo record, but it, there was uh, there was you talk about you know the language. I will be speaking in like in, in very nice terms and this and that. So you explained it for the audience. But in this newest episode, in this newest special, you actually start out with an apology just to clear yourself. Yeah, is that is that necessary these days? Well, that's yes. the joke. It's like the, the the people who do these stagnant apologies. That is, it is basically pre-written. The PR people have that xeroxed, showing my age. Xeroxed. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was it called before that? Where you would sniff the paper. 
Uh, oh, the blueprints with the um, Vic Vic Chalfon, our producer knows. He's 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 older than both of us, <laughs> but not by much though. <laughs> he's giving me two fingers. All right, no, it's uh, it, it, mimeograph. Mimeograph. Anyway, that was it was on a roller, right? I think it was on the roller. Yeah, we had it in school. People go, okay. Oh, did he do something wrong? Here, just read this at a press conference. Here you go. That was basically what I was opening with. I, I will try to grow from this experience, and I learned that I have hurt people. And okay, let's just so get after that. this very eloquent, uh, uh, basically apology. Then you then you bust right into dead kids, and that's folks is all I'll give you guys until you because you have to go out and get the uh, get the special. And the thing is, oh man, I, you know what? I'm gonna have. I think it's only on Amazon Prime. Well, all my old Oslo was the first one on Netflix. Everything that I had on Netflix has been pulled because if I was famous enough that they could shame me, I would be canceled based on old material. Well, did you say this word? Yep. Did you get it in context or intent of the whole bit? No, you didn't. You just heard words. Well, just so you know. This fucking guy is great. I love it. There you go, Vic. That's it. Vic, the- Vic saw me play at a fucking fish restaurant in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, and and that's recently. It's very it's a great career where where you, you sell out the fucking Hammersmith fucking Apollo, yeah. and then yeah, a month later, you're playing a fish restaurant, and I fucking love it. I I, I, I love the – I wouldn't want to exclusively play fish restaurants, but, yeah, it keeps you in check. And I have more fun at a fish restaurant in Arkansas than I do with the stress of a fucking sold-out London show. <laughs> well, just so you know, you and Alice, again, have something in common because that's where the Brutally Live DVD that we shot, one of the – is was at the Hammersmith Apollo. So there you go. Oh, I thought you were going to say the fucking mermaids in fucking Fayetteville, Arkansas. No, that would be that, funny. That's something that yeah, that's more of a club tour thing that I that I would be used to doing. Planning. I want to fucking book you. Uh, this is how I wake up. A song gets in my head, even if it's just nonsense. Even if it's not really a song, I put something like something gets into a loop. Oh, feed the cat, and then I get a loop of feed the cat, and like I make up. So this, I saw you recently. My producer found "Sweet Ballroom Blitz" the video, and then I saw that you were doing a goofy thing where you're doing a cover band of glam rock, Glam Nation, yeah. And and I go fuck if he's ever over here, we're gonna make him pl- fucking that sweet ballroom blitz video is so captivating. Like we made everyone No, you have to just, uh, and she could kill you with a wink of an eye <laughs> that we actually have a band that it was called glam nation. And then sometimes it's called star fuckers. And then sometimes it's called the other white meat. It's one of those three bands that we have slim Jim phantom from the stray cats is the, can be the drummer sometimes, or it's Eric singer. And oddly enough that, like you say, Chris Catane, uh, sort of, we have a lead singer named Eric Dover that looks very, very similar to Chris Catane. Uh, and I know Vic's trying very hard to get a picture of Eric Dover up, but don't worry about it, dude. Because Chris Catane, that Clint knows fucking, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an unfortunate look. I know I have one. The beef is real. The thing I was going to tell you about your special though, it's not only available on Amazon pride. We watched it. 
via a, I think it's Serbian, it might be Croatian, probably Russian, subtitles, porn site. And you can see, I'm telling you, I actually did watch it. So I do, because I couldn't find, you know, I couldn't find somewhere to rent it and actually do it because I don't have an Amazon Prime account or whatever the hell you need to do. So I, I went, you know, like you always do, onto some sort of, you know, I guess sort of what do you call it dark web i went i, I think it's available on the dark yeah, web I'm, I'm all for it steal <laughs> watch it i mean uh, nobody pays for music for free like we wanted to get okay we want to get our money back because we did self-produce it but then we were going to release it and 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 uh uh i don't know if it's porn Pornhub. Pornhub. they're like yeah we'll release it on Pornhub. but it was right around then that my manager found out Pornhub was having Oh, wait, some people are putting like revenge porn. Uh, yeah. Or girls that were like say, saying that it was not consensual and Pornhub didn't do enough to take it down. I'm like, all right, yeah, we don't need to be involved in that beef. Uh, no, but no, you, you want to be in a completely different movie company. Move over to something more mainstream, like something Harvey Weinstein is sort of. <laughs> What? I, want, I want to talk about the books because you have a new book that's coming out that that uh, uh, no encore for the donkey. It's out, but but I need to clear this up with you, Doug. You've written four books, but you say that you've written three. So the newest one, no no encore for the donkey, just came out in 2020. But way back before, do you talk about fun with pedophiles all that much? Only in the fact that. It's the only thing that I've ever done that I laugh at, like gratuitously. Back in those days when I was uh, uh, not welcomed uh, at the uh, coconut teaser, I would go back. I just learned how to use the internet. And someone sent me a link to baiting, like fish bait, baiting.org. I think it's still up, but archived. But it would fuck with pedophiles on AOL Instant Messenger. With a, I'm a a twelve year old girl that likes hot talk with older men. Must be, you know, whatever. And they would bait pedophiles, just like Chris Hansen stepped in. What did you bring? Zima and condoms for what? But this was just being funny. Really? Yeah, yeah. This is before Chris Hansen, and you just fuck with them and get them like jacking off, and it always ends with, "Okay, now I'm pulling my dick out, I'm jerking off to you," that kind of thing. Where they what? <laughs> or you see, or you would break into that John Lydon uh, fucking impersonation, and that would be it. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a, this is all chat. Like, oh, this a, it was all chat. Okay, so the yeah, thing is, you you were actually chat logs of fucking with people, and you. Like once you get the guy jacking off, you can say pretty much anything, and he's gonna like hey, get back to the sex talk. Okay, well I don't have any legs. <laughs> so you were shaming pedophiles via dial-up, which is very commendable way back in the day because it had to be a modem of some sort. It was definitely no high-speed Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't. I can't do that. And then you're connected. You. Pedophile shaming. Digging up mother was the next. It was like a prank call, and you go, "Oh, I can justify this because you're trying to fuck a 13 year old girl online." But it's like the 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 the, I could almost be canceled for the grotesque shit I wrote in those logs, even though like they would probably defend the pedophile more than. 
you were the real jerky boys. Oh, no. Was- I, 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 I would never. You can say I, I, I'm as funny as Lenny Bruce, and you, I would, I'd go, yeah, well, I don't get Lenny Bruce, but yeah, the Jerky Boys was the well, the Jerky Boy was the best. The other guy was not. The so other guy, look- the, like the eye patch guy from Doctor Hook, he didn't really fucking add much to the thing other than image, image, baby. <laughs> then, then you wrote what a lot of people say was your first book, but that was yeah. digging up Mother, and that has a forward by Johnny Depp. So you obviously had met Depp by then. Yeah. And, um, and then, then sort of the book started coming. Um, this is not fame, you know? Yeah. This is not fame. was basically road stories that I know my fans would want to hear. And, uh, but yeah, the, the, the newest one is like the most fucked up year. It's just one year. No encore for the donkey was about 2016. That's, started with my wife and I breaking up in a, a, a heroic fashion and then getting back. It was the year that fucking Amber Heard sued me for defamation for standing up for Johnny Depp. And it just every, everything that was supposed to go right went wrong. And it ends with my wife in a fucking coma as Donald Trump is getting elected and we don't know if she's going to live or die. And I still went to LA to do that live podcast for election yeah, night, yeah. Rogan and Bill Burr, and then back to the hospital for a month to see if my wife, it was just a fucked up year. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, need, it needed to be written. It was, um, do you enjoy writing books? No, but I don't enjoy doing comedy either. A bit of a catharsis. I hate to say that word because I can't never say it right. And my producer always says, can you just say certain words right? Catharsis, right? Something that comes out. Le Courier. I finally figured out how to say Dennis from Dr. Hook's last name. Yes. Okay, thank you. Well, if you practice catharsis enough on an hour and a half podcast, you'll you'll get catharsis. Well, thank you for, for helping me with the pronunciation. <laughs> My linguist, Doug Stanhope. But do you find that the, the writing these books, getting it out there is important for you? It's uh, when you when you write a book, when it's finally done, it's like a, you know, a breach birth. OK, this is over. It's out of me. Uh, but the process is sometimes so frustrating, so infuriating where you, you go, hey, I, it's not like comedy where I, if I don't have something to say, I can go, well, where are you from? <laughs> or go into the crowd. Like it, this is permanent. Uh, and when I'm done, like that book, I was really proud of. Uh, other ones, you, you go, I don't know. I never really wrote a book. The first one and the second one, I was in a time crunch and forced in some old shit. But this one, yeah, I, I, I really like this one. All right. So no encore for the donkey. Uh, when you write a book, you don't have to do it every night for the next 300 days on the road. <laughs> true. True. Or you have to go on a book tour. Uh, I, I had Jordan Peterson on and he, he's like a bigger rock star than any of us these days. And he's talking about how he did this book tour in 2018, 60 cities for promoting his, you know, 12 rules for life book. But I know that you have a, you have your boy, Matt Napo from mind dog TV. He, oh. he loves, he loves the books. He he was first in line to, to, to listen to. He's given it, you know, all the press you can give it. So that's where I got a lot of the information out of this newest book, No Encore for the Donkey. So shout out to uh, Matt. 
Yes, I, uh, that's, that was one of the guys that during COVID, a million things I would have never done is other people's podcasts or having the 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 hubris to ask someone to be on my podcast. Like, all right, at some point I realized, oh, we're all fucking sitting here doing nothing. Everyone's it used to be asking someone to do your podcast was like, can I get a ride to LAX? It's the worst thing you could do. Yeah. Now, well, we're all just sitting around anyway. Well, <laughs> I appreciate you being on in the trenches now. Let's talk. Yeah, well, I, dude, you don't know how much I appreciate you being on right now. I, I'm, I feel if you're cool with keeping on talking, or we can maybe come back another time. Or you, yeah, I, think, I think, I think we've spent the fucking listeners' ear. Well, I mean, then I can break it up into two parts. It doesn't matter because I mean, but it's up to you. Like I said, because there's a there's a couple more sections that I normally do in the set. Um, oh, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, if you're uh, cool with it, because there's a couple more sort of sections. My credo is, uh, and I call it the triple P's, and it's uh, practice, persistence, and patience. So if the listener has patience, then we can go another 15, 20. I don't care. That's what I that's what I preach on this fucking show. Practice, persistence, patience. The three P's. There was a girl from Nat. Wait, wait a second. You did some research on me. <laughs> Damn it. All right. I fell for it. Fuck off. <laughs> Just got punked. Girl, yeah. Fuck everybody. <laughs> Here I was thinking, like, holy shit, we've got this bond now. Doug and I are gonna I'm moving well, to Bisbee. My three, my three uh are uh Drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. Where I would say that's how. How did you yeah. get where you are? Drugs opened up my mind to think of some, you know, out of the box shit, for lack of a better term. Cigarettes gave me the patience to write it out in a comedy friendly format, and alcohol gives me the confidence to present it in front of a bunch of judgmental assholes like you in the audience. That's my three P's: cigarette, <laughs> alcohol. Deck. No, it's your, it's your DAC. I love it. And that concludes part one. Stay tuned for part two coming soon. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello. Moby, give him his guitars back.